Well, good morning. Again, welcome to the service here. I do plan to this morning spend, I think it will be my last sermon on the life of David. And so, unless the Lord leads otherwise, I'm planning to end my uh, series on David's life here this morning. Um, just a lot of uh, things that could be um, covered here as we think of David's life, especially here at the end. So, we think of David as a man after God's own heart, um, certainly not perfect. In the last uh, several times that we looked at David's life, I um, probably portrayed David in a kind of a, maybe a negative kind of a way. Um, possibly I intended to do that, actually, uh, because of some of the consequences of David's actions. Uh, God um, certainly forgave him. David fully repented, and yet there was consequences that went with that. And so we looked at some of those. Um, but we think of, uh, again, we want to think of David this morning as a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart does what? Loves what God loves, hates what God hates. Um, and we think of that in David's life, and we think of this morning, we'll think about that and how uh, it comes through in the way David ended his life. As people, as people, we rarely, as people, we rarely um, make, um, we, we rarely make, we rarely have the opportunity to make one decision at the end of our life that determines our eternal destiny. Am I right about that? No. Our eternal destiny is often an accumulation of decisions that we've made throughout throughout life. Now, the thief on the cross would be an, uh, an example of one, an exception to that. Uh, he made a decision at the end of his life that changed his eternal destiny. But most people don't, don't have that opportunity. Most times, our eternal destiny is an accumulation of decisions that we've made throughout life. Um, and and uh, we, we don't usually get that opportunity. We find that with David's life. We find that with David's life. Um, David was not perfect, and we've, we looked at that the, the last several times in, in messages. David wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes. He made some really serious uh, wrong mistakes and, uh, and needed to live with those consequences. But we want to go back through David's life, and I believe that David had some anchors placed in his life that took him, in spite of wrong decisions, in spite of sin, in spite of wrong decisions, and in spite of opposition and so on, he had some anchors placed in his life that took him in the right direction. And so David didn't end his life because he suddenly made a big decision to follow the Lord, but he ended his life well because he was, his life was anchored in 
some things that he had put in place in his life and that uh, were good for him even during times of trouble. And so we have um, David, uh, we first read of David as a shepherd, um, living in a home and a family, uh, probably kind of a dysfunctional kind of family. Um, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about David's childhood. We kind of read between the lines some places and we can understand that he didn't have an easy childhood. Uh, he was chased by Saul for a number of years. Later came in and established uh, his reign in Jerusalem. Uh, the king of only uh, Judah and Benjamin and at that time. Um, many, David's life, even as king, um, many, many wars, many, many wars. David, a man of war. Um, warfare was so much a part of his life, even toward the end of his life. Um, warfare was so much a part of his life. God said, because you're such a man of war, I would rather have your son build my house for me. It's interesting that in Solomon's name, Solomon's name is um, closely connected to the word that the Jews use today as a greeting, shalom. Uh, the Jews use the, the word shalom means peace. Uh, Solomon's name, Solomon, is a form of that word. And so God chose Solomon to be the builder of his house. I'd like to um, begin our message in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and then end with our scripture reading that we had here um, this morning, the, the scripture that Matt read for us. So in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and I'd like to read verses 1 to 7 here, and uh, we and look at some of these um, ideas that come through here. It says, Now these be the last words of David. The, David the son of Jesse said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of the of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God, he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun arises, when the morning without in the even the morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after the rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made me an everlasting covenant, and ordered in all things, and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. But the days of Belial shall be all of, shall be all of them as thorns, thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. And so, okay, so I read through this and uh, you, you listen to it and you, it probably doesn't mean anything, right? So uh, it's, a, it's a word of uh, prophecy that um, David would have had. But there's some ideas coming through here that I want us to think about. We have David as, this is the last words of David and 
we believe that these were would have been not necessarily the last words he spoke, but the last inspired words of David. The last inspired words of David. And so he's saying in these verses then, four times we have David claiming that God is speaking there. Um, he says, the spirit of the God spoke, his word is in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. And so uh, David is uh, acknowledging uh, God as being the source of this prophecy. But as we look at this prophecy closely, we see the prophecy of Jesus as the coming Messiah coming through here in these passages, in this passage. Uh, so it says the ruler of man must be just, the ruler in and the a ruling in the fear of God. And the ruler and uh, the 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 guide coming through here, I believe, is Jesus. Uh, David David did not recognize, um, or David would not have identified Jesus as being the one who would establish his throne forever, but he did recognize the Messiah as being the one who would do that. And many of the prophecies that we have in the Psalms concerning uh, the fact that David's throne is established forever is in connection with Messiah, not the physical reign or the physical lineage of David, but rather David as Messiah, uh, as his descendant as being Messiah. And I think David's understanding of the Messiah was one of the points, one of the anchor points in his life that kept him on track. And so David was not looking at being a ruler forever himself, but rather the Messiah was going to be the ruler. He was going to be, uh, in, in uh, verse 3, the ruler was going to be just and perfect. Uh, verse 4, this ruler was going to be a source of light. And then in verse uh, 4, the last part, a uh, source of life and nourishment. And uh, then in 5, David says, my own house isn't that way. My own house isn't like this. And he recognized the failures of his own household. He said, my own house isn't like this. But David looked ahead and he saw Jesus, a descendant of his, one who was um, going to sit on his throne forever as being Messiah. And, and here's, here's why, here's why I believe uh, this idea of Messiah coming through was an anchor point for David because David saw Messiah as being the one who would eventually make everything right. And so David in his life had a lot of things going against him. So in his childhood he was raised in a, in a home, um, hardly even considered a child or a brother to his other brothers, and um, there with the anointing of Samuel. And, um, and then with Saul, and then we have, uh, even as king, he had lots of enemies and people that were opposing him. But in spite of all this, David saw the Messiah as being the one who would, in, 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 in eternity, and also, in a sense, in time, he would see the Messiah as being the one who would make everything right. Uh, he saw that in Jesus. Uh, the coming Messiah would make everything right. 
We have in, um, I'd like to turn also to Psalm um, 68. And we have uh, this, uh, some of these ideas coming through in, in the Psalms also. Psalm 68, uh, just looking at several verses there. It says, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. And it goes on to uh, talk about that some more. Um, let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice, sing unto the Lord, sing praises to his name, exalt him that rideth upon the heavens by his name Yah and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. Again, he's talking about Messiah, someone who's going to come and make everything right. And, um, and this was an anchor for David because in spite of all the difficulties that he had, he could look ahead and see Jesus as Messiah coming to settle everything. It's interesting that uh, when Jesus, was, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was uh, talking with the scribes and the Pharisees, and Jesus uses a verse in uh, Psalm 110, Psalm 110, verse 1. Uh, it's a verse that uh, David, this would have been words of David, uh, Psalm 10, 110, verse 1. It says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make mine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of, the, of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Now, now uh, verse 1 here is a verse, is, you know, so we have numerous uh, verses. In the New Testament, we have numerous verses quoted from the Old Testament. But this verse 1 in uh, Psalm 110.1 is quoted more often in the New Testament than any other Old Testament verse. And the New Testament writers latched onto this verse because the Lord said unto my Lord, and so uh, they understood that David is talking about the Messiah as being his Lord. They understood that David was talking about Messiah as being his Lord and that um, Messiah was uh, coming and Messiah was going to be the eternal king and reign forever. And then in verse 2 it says, Sit thou at my right hand until I make mine enemies thy footstool. And it's interesting, in the Old, in the Old Testament tabernacle, we have the furnishings. Uh, we have the altar, the lampstand, the altar of incense, and all the furnishings there in the Old Testament um, tabernacle. But with all of these furnitures, there's not one chair. There's no chairs in the Old Testament tabernacle because the work of the Old Testament priest was never finished. They were continually offering the sacrifices. Now David here, when he's thinking about his Lord as being Messiah, the coming of Jesus as being Lord, he's saying, I see him sitting. I see him sitting at the right hand of God. He's sitting because his work is finished. He's sitting at the right hand of God because his work is finished. 
And we find Jesus on the cross, uh, his last words, it is finished. It is finished. Jesus finished the work that was given him to do. And I, I believe David was able to see that. David was able to see that. The Pharisees were kind of, you know, so they thought about the coming of Messiah, but Jesus then, in Matthew 22, he uses Psalm 110, verse 1, as, um, how should you say, some ammunition against the Pharisees for accusing him of, of uh, being an imposter. And so he's using Psalm 110, verse 1, uh, as, as he refutes the Pharisees in that. And so I believe one of the keys to having David successful in life was to recognize the Messiah as being the one who was going to come and somehow make everything right. Even though David went through a lot of hard times in his life, a lot of things were against him, um, a lot of things were against him that he didn't deserve, he saw Messiah as coming and making everything right, and that was an anchor for David. The other thing that comes through in the Psalms, and I, and I, I haven't actually tracked this word through the Psalms, um, but I would say it's an often repeated word in the Psalms is the word trust. Is the word trust. And David numerous times in the Psalms expresses his trust in God. And, and David could do that because he saw Jesus, uh, uh, he saw Messiah coming as being the one who's going to make everything right. And so he could place his trust in God. And so, so uh, David writes um, Psalms about, you know, his fleeing from Saul, his, his uh, being chased by the enemies, and, and, um, and so on. And, but he always ends his Psalms with expressions of trust in God. Think how this, uh, uh, so Psalm 23 was probably written, I mean, I would think David was probably a young boy when he wrote Psalm 23, but look at Psalm 23, verse 1. And while we don't see the word trust here in, in this word, trust is everywhere in the verse. Psalm 23, verse 1. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Uh, uh, verses that are full of trust. David was trusting God to do that for him. And, uh, and David wrote that, probably wrote that while he was in the desert taking care of the sheep. Uh, the desert in uh, Judea was not... Um, wonderful place to take care of sheep actually but David was able to see God working in that and so the shepherds in the desert would walk from these little patches of grass from one place to another walk take the sheep to these little patches of grass and the patches of grass were probably just enough of grass for like maybe a couple of hours or at the most maybe a day and the next day they would need another patch of grass David saw uh, God is being able to lead him, uh, lead him there to these green pastures and places of water. And uh, David was able to trust God in that. I think trusting is so important um, in our lives. And um, 
even the fact, even the idea of, of seeing Jesus as Messiah is important for us. And you know, we live in a world, let's, let's make this really practical. So we live in a world where there's a lot of turmoil. And you know, we heard about that this morning with the refugees from Ukraine. Lots of turmoil, and we wonder, how is God ever going to work in some of these situations? How unjust and unfair is this to the Ukrainian people that they have all this suffering and all this destruction? In, in the middle of all that, I believe it's God's people, in the middle of all that, we can trust God to make everything right in the end, right? And I had a, and it's, it's interesting to, to be able to work in business with, with uh, godly people. And uh, so my fertilizer salesman and I were talking about Ukraine one time, and uh, he said, you know what? He said, there's significant there's, this is a significant event. He said, we don't understand it, but it's probably a significant event in end time prophecy. And somehow God uses things like this to fulfill his purpose. At the same time, even in this situation in Ukraine, we can see God's restraining hand, can't we? You know, we think, well, evil is rampant. Look at all the destruction. But look at, also look at God's restraining hand in this. And says, you know, ultimately, what happens in Ukraine is going to, it's going to be made right somehow. In the end, it's going to be made right. And evil is not going to prevail. And as God's people, can we trust him in that? Can we trust him in that? And, um, you know, I, I, I'll be real honest with you. I woke up a few nights thinking about Ukraine already. And I find myself, like through the day, I find myself breathing a prayer for those people. But God's hand is, is somehow God's hand is in this. Uh, we read in the book of Daniel that God sets up. God sets up kings. He takes down kings. He puts in place whoever he, whom he wants. We don't understand that, do we? We don't understand that. You know, surely, you know, there's people in power today that should be able to do a better job, right? We don't understand how God is going to work in some of these situations. And I, you know, and I thought about that even with COVID. So uh, there has, in the history of the world, there's never been a, uh, an event like COVID that has affected the entire world. There's never been like anything like this before. Do you know of anything like that, Floyd? Well, similar, maybe in 1918 and 20, they say it was worldwide also, but probably not to the extent. And somehow, you know, I think someday we're going to look, be able to look back on this and see how this fits into prophecy how God used this to arrange things for himself and for the world at the end of time. And so can we trust God in that? You know, so we, you know, we needed to be at home and we couldn't come to church and, and it was hard to, you know, understand how everything was working and why things were being done the way they were done, but can we trust God? 
And I, th I believe we need to put some of those things in place in our lives. If we want to remain faithful to God, we want to be able to, to, be able to end well. If we want our lives to end well, we need to have some of those things in place, some of those anchors in place that we can go to and trust. We trust God we, and we, uh, we see Jesus as Messiah. He's going to make everything right. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians here this morning in, uh, in our Sunday school lesson, we have, um, we have Jesus addressed as the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul does that numerous times in his writings, especially at the beginning of the letter. But I think it's good for us to sometimes pull out, take those words apart and think about those a little bit. The word Lord has to do with master. When we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we're saying he's my master, as in a master and a slave, or a master and a servant, as we have it in scripture. So we acknowledge Jesus as being our master. When we talk about Jesus as savior, we're talking about redemption. The fact that he has, he has died for us. He has provided redemption for us. But the word Christ means Messiah. And so there's, a, there's like a threefold aspect of Jesus' life that comes through as we address him as the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we address him as a master. We address him as our savior. But we also address him as Messiah. The one who's going to come, who's going to be reigning forever and ever, and who ultimately is going to make everything right in this world. And I believe, I believe it's just uh, so important that we keep anchoring our faith in, um, in those kind of ideas. I'm going to deviate just a little bit from, from this, um, you know, this uh, study on David, but we're making this some, some of these ideas really practical for us. Uh, and I believe, that, I believe that today there is an incorrect teaching among Christians concerning end times. I think there's an incorrect teaching among some Christians where they're saying the world <clears throat> is really getting better and better. The world is getting, is getting better and better, and we as Christians need to help speed up this process. And in the process, we're making it the world a place where Jesus can come and reign forever. Do we find that in scripture? No. You look at uh, Matthew, probably chapters 22 and chapters 20, probably 20, 22 to 24. I, I have to look at those again. Jesus does not paint a picture of the world getting better and better. He's painting a picture of the world getting worse. And I believe we need to understand that. As God's people, we're not going to help the world get better and, and ultimately make it a place for Jesus to reign. Jesus is going to do that himself. God is delaying his coming so that more can be saved. 
There will always be the enemies of Jesus, and evil, evil today is rampant. You know, we don't have to look far in our communities. We don't have to look far in the world to see evil is being rampant. It's everywhere, and it's destructive. It's terrible. At the same time, at the same time, evil is being, actually, it's being controlled. Evil is not out of control. So evil is being controlled, and I believe part of Jesus' work as a Messiah is doing that. Human history should not be seen as a march of progress or victory but by the effort of man, but a time when God is calling to himself a holy people. God is calling to himself a holy people. And we talked a little about the whole thing of being elect and chosen this morning in Sunday school. And um, in the context of that kind of teaching, and Kirk brought that out in Sunday school this morning too. In the context of that teaching, we need to take into consideration uh, John 3.16, where it says, Whosoever believeth shall be saved. And um, God is calling to himself a people, and he's giving time for that. He's giving time for that. He's delaying his coming. He's giving time for that. At the same time, we see a lot of bad things happening in our world. We see a lot of bad things happening. But evil, in spite of all that, evil is being controlled. Evil is not just rampant. I mean, it is rampant, but it is not rampant uncontrollably. Uh, evil is being controlled, and so we place our faith in Jesus in that. Okay, let's get back to David um, and go to First um, Chronicles chapter 29. I want to wrap up with this, uh, some ideas here yet this morning. Um, we find here, <clears throat> and I wish, we would have, I wish we'd have time to spend a lot of time on this, on this um, whole chapter here. But in, um, in, verse, in chapter 28, then we have some ideas coming through, and then also in chapter 29. But four things here that David was talking about in, um, at the end of his life here. The one is the building of the temple. And David and Nathan had talked about building the temple. It would, have, it would have probably been like 20 years before he died. He talked about building the temple to Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet, first, first of all, Nathan said, go ahead, build. Uh, the Lord came to Nathan that night and said, no, David shouldn't build the temple. He's a man of war. I want a man of peace to build my temple. Nathan came to David, he said, your son will build your temple, will build the temple. So David had this dream of building a beautiful house for the Lord. He wasn't able to do it. He wasn't able to accomplish it. God didn't allow him to go ahead with it. We do find that as we go through uh, 2 Samuel and also 1 Chronicles, and uh, we read through some passages here where David accumulated 
vast resources for this temple. Um, huge um, quantities of gold and silver and he arranged with uh, neighboring kings to provide the wood and the cedar and whatever they needed, the stones for the temple. He, he, he laid the groundwork for Solomon to be able to do that. And, uh, but David never, David was never able to see the, the finished temple. Um, God said, that's not for you to do. I want your son to do that. We see David responding to that in a very positive kind of way. Um, in chapter 28, um, let me just read uh, verse 1. It says, And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, the captains over thousands, the captains over hundreds, the stewards over all the substance and the possession of the king and of his sons, with the officers and with the mighty men and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. And so, in the middle of having this assembly of people, David started talking about this house that he would like to build for God. And he tried to impart a vision to that, to the next generation, to be able to have that house accomplished. This was a big project for David, a project that he never saw, never saw it completed, but he trusted God to be able to have it completed through his son. And David was able to respond to that, I believe, in a, in a good kind of way. And uh, not everyone that, um, not everyone that um, um, has a vision for something like that and and sees it not being accomplished is able to respond that way. Not everyone is able to respond that way, but David was able to respond properly to that. The second idea that comes through in this passage, we find in, uh, in uh, 20, uh, chapter 28, verse 9, it says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. The second idea we have coming through here is that Solomon has some counsel for his son. He has some counsel for his son. So he tells Solomon, Two ideas that come through here. He says, know thou the God of thy father, and then serve him with a perfect heart. Know the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart. David was asking Solomon to know God in the same way that he himself knew him. He was telling Solomon, know God in the same way that I myself know him. Serve God with a willing, uh, with a whole heart, and with a willing mind, and I believe that is excellent advice for us today. Also, 
You, you, want to pass, you want to pass something on to your children. Pass, pass this idea on to your children. To serve God, to know God, and then to serve God. Not because you have to, but with all your heart and a willing mind. God, God's blessing will be with your family if you can impart those truths to your children. Serve God with a willing heart, with a whole heart and a willing mind. The third idea that we have coming through here, we find in, in uh, chapter, first, first Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 to 13. I like to just read those verses also. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Um, verse, verse 11 is uh, quite a powerful verse here. It says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. David is addressing the Messiah in these verses. David is addressing the Messiah in these verses. He's going to be the king over all, exalted as head above all. This is the Messiah. He's not talking about a physical descendant of his own throne. He's talking about Jesus coming, being the Messiah who's going to make everything right. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and thine hand is and in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Um, David, David, in the middle of everything that was taking place in his life and the fact that he was dying, he knew he wouldn't be living longer. In, the, in spite of the fact that he wasn't able to build the temple, in the... And he was expecting his son to take on this work. We find David acknowledging again the power and the greatness of God as Messiah coming to make everything right. The fourth idea we have coming through here then is the way David was able to transmit some of his ideas to the, to the rest of the people at that time. And... Uh, We have the whole congregation then, uh, let me see which verse is that. Um, we have the whole congregation then responding to David and uh, also being able to, uh, to praise God for what he did. Um, it says, all the, and all the princes, the mighty men, and all the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. That's toward the end of the verse, end of the chapter. They sacrificed uh, sacrifices. Um, the congregation uh, blessed the Lord. All the congregation was able to uh, praise God because of what um, David was doing. And they responded in kind to what David had. And so David's uh, influence on the rest of the Israel was tremendous. And David was able to transmit that on. In Acts chapter 
13, we have a verse here, um, and I'd like, to, I'd like to just end by reading this verse, maybe talking about this verse a little bit. Uh, Acts chapter 13, it's, in the, it's actually in the sermon uh, that Peter had at that, Acts chapter 13, verse 36. For David, uh, okay, so Peter is here talking about Israel's history, and then he says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. What does it mean? What does it mean to serve our own generation? Peter says, David served his own generation. What does it mean for us to do that? I would suggest that everyone, and especially as believers, I believe when we come to the Lord, when we accept Jesus as our personal savior, we don't, we don't do so in a vacuum, okay? God has a plan for us. And so we come to Jesus, we acknowledge him as the Lord Jesus Christ, and God has a plan for us, a purpose for us here. We don't come in a vacuum. And so God, I believe everyone has a plan and a purpose. God has something in mind that he wants you to do and accomplish while you're here. And that's how we serve our generation. That's how we serve our generation. And, and I don't know, you know, I don't have a formula for this. I don't have a recipe for this. I don't have a formula for this. But I believe it should be, I believe it should be the desire of every believer to know what God has for him to do. And, and we, I say that in the context of being able to, to worship God, to come to God, to serve him with a whole heart, with a willing spirit. But I believe God has something in mind for every one of us to do. And in that way, in that way, we serve our generation. So we don't always, um, sometimes you say, well, you know, I... I'm not doing anything big. So um, I'm, like, I'm not like David. So I haven't done anything big for God, but God is not asking for big things. He's asking for faithfulness. He's saying, serve your generation. Find the purpose that God has for you. And I don't have a recipe for this, but if we come to God and we seek God with a whole heart, with a willing mind, I believe God will give us. God will give us something to do that will serve our generation. And I believe it's important for us to understand that and to be faithful in that. And we're not all going to be like David. You know, David had a lot of things on his plate. David had a lot of things he was doing. We're not all going to be like David, but we can all but we're all called to be faithful and to be serving our generation in that. And um, 
you know, we look at the world today and the evil and, and the way, you know, it just, it just seems like, it just seems like surely something can be done better, you know, it could be done better and something needs to change and, and how can God allow some of this to take place? But as God's people, we are light, we are salt, God has given us a ministry, and you know we don't always understand why God allows what he does, and yet God has placed us here at this time to be able to serve our generation. I think it's uh, just, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to do that. It's a wonderful opportunity to be able to serve God and be faithful to him in that. Let's kneel together for prayer.